Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message titled, Keep Moving Forward. All right, so the year was AD 48. And if you guys have been with us, you know by now that Paul and Barnabas are well into their first missionary journey. And so let's check out the map to get our bearings geographically. If you remember, the first missionary journey started in Antioch of Syria. That's on the right side of your screen in the purple. So if you're looking at Antioch, please say amen. So that, that beautiful church, that healthy church, the elders laid hands on Paul and Barnabas. They sent them out and they took John Mark with them. They went down to the port city of Seleucia, got on a boat, and they sailed down to the island of Cyprus. They shared the good news of Jesus because, listen, everybody needs to hear the good news of Jesus all around the world. And they shared it on the island of Cyprus and Salamis and across the island to Paphos. Then they jumped on another boat and they headed north up to what we would call modern day Turkey. Back then it was Asia Minor and they got to the city of Perga. So if you see Perga, please say amen. All right, so Perga is where they had a little bit of a surprise. John Mark decided to quit. He decided to go home. We don't know why, but he quit. And so that probably was very disappointing to Paul and Barnabas, and yet they kept moving forward. They had headed north all the way up to Antioch of Pisidia. So if you see Pisidia and just above Pisidia in the tan area, if you see Antioch, please say amen. Okay, and that's where Paul gave two or three weeks ago his amazing message of hope in the synagogue there in Antioch. And so Paul shared, again, the good news of Jesus with the Jews, and, and, and the Bible says that God blessed, and not only Jews, but Gentiles. In other words, Gentiles who had become Jewish proselytes. Gentiles who had accepted Yahweh as the one and only true God. By the way, he is, okay? They uh, were saved as well. Jews and Gentiles came to Jesus, the one and only Son of God. But, as in every crowd, there were the doubters, the naysayers, and there was people who rejected the, the good news of Jesus, and not only that, some of the religious leaders became jealous of Paul. When they, say, when they saw all these people flocking to hear Paul, they allowed jealousy and envy to creep into their hearts, and they began to publicly criticize and condemn the apostle Paul. And when that wasn't enough to deter him, they went down the street and they got the local politicians involved and they set them against Paul and Barnabas and the local politicians along with the Jewish religious leaders kicked Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch. And I'm sure that was very disappointing. But guess what? They kept moving forward. They turned east and they went 80 miles all the way over to the city of Iconium, and so if you're looking at Iconium, please say amen. So you see where we're at, and that's now where we're gonna pick up our Bible study in chapter 14 and verse one. And so it says, now at Iconium, they entered together into the what? The Jewish synagogue. So even though in Antioch, um, many of the Jews rejected Paul's message, so he turned from the Jews to the Gentiles. He still follows his custom. He goes into the synagogue and he spoke, look at this, in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so when Paul and Barnabas arrived in Iconium, as was his custom, he went first to the Jews, right? It says in Romans, the gospel, the good news of Jesus goes to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. So they go first to the Jewish synagogue. They share the good news of Jesus. Just like what happened in Antioch, now is happening in Iconium. Many Jews and Gentiles say, yes, we get it. We accept Jesus as our Messiah. Good news, but as you guys know by now, the book of Acts is like a chess match, right? <laughs> Any chess players in the house? Oh, we got one chess player, that's it? I saw, I see a few. It's a great game, by the way. But you know, in Acts, it's kinda like God moves, Satan moves. God moves, Satan moves. In Iconium, many Jews and Greeks just came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, God moved. 
And now we're gonna pick it up in verse two. And now it's Satan's turn to move. So here we go, look at verse two. But the unbelieving Jews, in other words, Jesus is not our Messiah, Steer, or stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, against Paul and Barnabas. So they remained, I love this response from Paul and Barnabas, by the way, they were undeterred. And so even though people are starting to come against them in Iconium, it says in verse three that they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness, I'll come back to this later, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so even though many Jews believed, some Jews decided we don't believe this stuff, and they began to oppose Paul and Barnabas. They began to poison the minds of the Gentiles against these two missionaries. In other words, these guys in Iconium began a smear campaign. They started spreading rumors. They started spreading gossip. They started spreading lies. They started personally attacking Paul and Barnabas. They go to the Gentiles who are listening to this message and they say, hey, why are you listening to him, Paul? Jesus is not our Messiah. Jesus was a fraud. He was just some itinerant preacher from the hills of Galilee, some kind of magician. He's not real. And, and neither of these guys, these guys are false teachers, they're liars. And so they began this smear campaign against Paul and Barnabas. And here's what's amazing though, that even though the unbelieving Jews were throwing mud at Paul and Barnabas, what I love is the integrity of these guys. Paul and Barnabas would not throw mud back. It says in verse three, they stayed faithful to their call, they remained there for a long time, they kept speaking boldly for the Lord. Application time. I have a question for you. Has anybody, and by the way, don't answer out loud, okay? <laughs> answer it in your heart. Has anybody ever spread gossip about you? By the way, you guys did great. Saturday night, it was like half the crowd was like, right, <laughs> when I said that. Has anybody ever spread gossip about you? Has anybody ever lied about you? Has anybody ever started a smear campaign against you? Has anybody ever um, personally attacked you? If so, my question is, how did you respond? Like Paul and Barnabas, did you just stay faithful to your call as a follower of Jesus? Or did you get into a mudslinging contest with that person back and forth? We all need to remember this, it's your first fill in the blank if you're taking notes today, and that is if we throw mud, we will bury ourselves. Boy, do we need this principle today in the United States of America. If we throw mud, I don't care who you are, I don't care what position you have. If we throw mud, we're gonna bury ourselves ultimately. So here's how it works. Someone throws mud at you, they gossip about you, they spread lies about you, right? And it's like, psh, you get mud all over your shirt. Now, does anybody like when that happens to you? No. But if we're not careful, in our flesh, what do we do? We're like, you're gonna gossip about me? I'm gonna gossip about you, boom! And that feels so good, right? Especially when it hits their face, it's like, yes, got it. And they're like, well, I'm gonna spread lies about you. I'll spread lies about you too. I'm gonna attack your character. I'm gonna attack your character too. Okay, it feels good in the flesh, but what are we doing? Listen, we're just digging ourselves into a hole. We're going lower and lower and lower. And eventually we're gonna bury ourselves. I used to be a news junkie. I used to love watching the news, staying up with everything. Now I like, I can't even hardly turn it on anymore because it's mudslinging constantly, personal attacks constantly. Our leaders in Washington, it's like, what's going on? Can we all just get out of the nursery and grow up and start debating issues and stop personally attacking each other? What is going on? And so for those who may be involved in a mudslinging contest, okay, it's easy to pick on politicians in Washington. Let's get it back to all of us. 
So if you're involved in a mudslinging contest with somebody right now, I gotta ask you something. Have you forgotten that you're a follower of Jesus? Right, what do true disciples do? I'm not talking about nominal Christians, Christians who are in name only. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about what do true disciples do? Listen, true disciples don't just read the word, they heed the word. In other words, it's not just, oh, I have my devotions, I feel so good about myself. No, you read it and then you heed it. It goes from your mind to your heart to your feet. You walk it out. Okay, so what did Jesus say about mudslinging? Here's what he said. Greatest sermon ever told, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, does it say turn to him and you know, kick him across the face? Is that what it says? <laughs> if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Have you ever heard this before? Turn the other cheek. You say, I can't do that. I know you can't do that. That's why you and I need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can do that. We cannot just read it, we can heed it and live it out. This is what we do. We don't sling mud. We turn the other cheek. Either we're disciples or we're not. What else did Jesus say about mudslinging? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You say, love my enemies, I can't do that. Again, I know you can't do that, neither can I. But we have the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts if we're born again, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So what we gotta do is submit our will to the will of the Holy Spirit, as I talked about last week, and allow him to fill us and guide us and influence us. And then, how many of you believe that Christ really can, by his Spirit, shed his love abroad in our hearts? Right? To the point that we actually love our enemies. We actually turn the other cheek. We actually pray for people who are coming against us. Yes, it is possible. And so just as it's not right to throw mud, it's also not right to catch mud. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is, just like it's not right to share gossip, it's also not right to listen to gossip. Here's your next point. If you're taking notes, if we catch mud, we will get dirty. It's your next fill-in. If we catch mud, we will get dirty. In other words, if we listen to gossip, it'll mess us up. And so here's what happens so often in the church. I mean, we all know it happens in the world, but here's what happens too much in the church. Your phone rings, you pick it up, it's your friend. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, listen, you got a minute? Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to share a prayer request with you. Oh, okay, what's going on? I'm so concerned with so-and-so. Did you hear what happened? No. Well, here's what happened. And it's like, and you're like, oh, really? Okay, thanks. And then, let me find my friend, boop. Hey, how you doing? Good, got a minute? Yeah, I just wanna share a prayer request with you. <laughs> Did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, you know what I heard? And we spread the gossip, and the enemy stands back and smiles. Can we be different in this church? So what should we do when someone's trying to share gossip with us? If you're with, us, if you're with me right now, say amen. What should we do? How should we respond? Here's how. If someone starts to share gossip with you, just stop them and say, you know what, I'm really not comfortable listening to this, especially since so-and-so is not here. I have two questions for you. Number one, have you gone to this person and told them what you heard? And then number two, if you haven't, can we just go get him right now? Oh look, there he is. Let's go talk to him. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> but you see, that will stop it. And when the gossip stops, the Holy Spirit smiles. I tell you, as a pastor of this church, I really wanna have a healthy church. But if there's all this gossip going on, if there's all this gossip going on, it's not gonna be healthy, it's gonna be unhealthy. 
By the way, I had a lady with two teenagers come up to me after the first service, and she said, pointing at her teenager, just last night, she asked me, Mom, what should I do when someone shares gossip with me? And she said, you told us. And listen, by the way, I didn't tell you, this is the Lord working. And so if someone tries to share gossip with you, it's not right to listen to it, because if you do, you're gonna get dirty. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be like the world. Let's make a covenant with our mouths not to share gossip, and let's make a covenant with our ears not to listen to gossip. And then maybe we'll have a healthy church, and maybe the Holy Spirit will bless and continue to bless and continue to work. But ladies and gentlemen, if we give into this backbiting, gossip, poisoning mind stuff, like Elvis, the Holy Spirit's gonna leave the building. <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, I just don't wanna pastor a church where it's dead. Okay, so let's make that commitment to one another. And now, they didn't, because they didn't follow these principles in Iconium, the Gentiles' minds were poisoned against Paul and Barnabas, and it caused division. Look at verse four. Verse four now. But the people of the city were, what's the word? I wonder why. Some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas, look at this, and to stone them, are you kidding me? Like, we're gonna pick up rocks and we're gonna kill you right now. By the way, thank you, Jesus, we live in 2019 in the United States of America where they can't stone us for preaching the good news of Jesus. I can't imagine living back in this time. Verse six, so when they learned about the stoning, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe in cities of Lycaonia and, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And so when faced with being stoned, Paul and Barnabas took Jesus' advice. In Matthew 10, 23, Jesus said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. That's what they did. So let's take a look at our map again. They're in Iconium. They're threatened with their lives. And so Paul and Barnabas travel 20 miles south into the country to Lystra. If you see Lystra, please say amen. Okay, so Lystra is just a, a country town. It's um, off the beaten path. You know, there's this major, back then the Romans built this amazing road system. And so this amazing road system was all over Asia Minor, but not from Iconium to Lystra. Lystra was like off the beaten path, down a dirt road, it was out in the country. It was small, it was rural. And so in his book, The Cities of St. Paul, archeologist Sir William Ramsey called Lystra, and I quote, a quiet backwater, a quiet backwater. And so now we're at Lystra, it's a country town, it's filled with uneducated, superstitious people. So why did Paul and Barnabas go out to the sticks? Well, if somebody threatened your life and wanted to kill you, You'd, you'd probably go lay low in the country somewhere. That's what they're doing. Well, here, what I love about these guys is that they keep ministering, they keep moving forward. And so now look at the ministry in verse eight. Everybody look at verse eight. It says, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. So he's a cripple from the cradle. And he had never walked. This guy's in bad shape. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And I love it. And this guy sprang up and began walking. I gotta stop right there because this is very familiar to what we read in chapter three. When Peter, the apostle, was used by the Holy Spirit to heal a man who was crippled from the cradle. And so just like the Holy Spirit used Peter in chapter three, the Apostle Peter, now he's using the Apostle Paul in chapter 14. Why? Well, we already read why back at the end of verse three. Because the Lord bears witness to his word. The Lord bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Whose hands? The apostles and their associates. And so what we see is God showing up with signs and wonders to authenticate the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, they're in Lystra. 
It's filled with uneducated, superstitious people. And so now we look at verse 12. I'm sorry, uh, look at verse 11. And after this guy springs up and starts walking, it says that when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their, in their, their uh, native tongue, the gods, plural, little g, have come down to us in the likeness of men. This is not going how Paul wants it to go. Verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So when these superstitious, uneducated people saw the crippled man suddenly get up and start walking around, they freaked out. They freaked out and they said, the gods are here, the gods are here. They actually thought Paul and Barnabas were part of the Greek pantheon that they were Zeus and Hermes. They called Barnabas Zeus. Zeus, who was Zeus? If you're not familiar with Greek mythology, Zeus was the chief god of the Greek pantheon. His equivalent in the Roman pantheon was Jupiter. So he's the chief god, he's the head honcho, and they called Barnabas Zeus. I don't know why, maybe Barnabas was a large man Maybe it's because he had this very outgoing, gregarious personality, but nonetheless, they looked at Barnabas and said, Zeus is here. And then what did they call Paul? They called Paul Hermes. Hermes, who was Hermes in Greek mythology? Hermes was the messenger god. He was the herald of Mount Olympus. He was the patron god of the orators. And so the Bible says that because Paul was the chief speaker, that they said, Hermes is here, Hermes is here. By the way, uh, archeologists dug down in this area. You know how you dug, when you dig down in, in archeology, span the farther down you go, the farther back in time you go. So they dug down to around this time and they found two stone ins inscriptions that point to the fact that Zeus and Hermes were the patron gods of Lystra. And so there was this legend that came out of all of this. The legend was simply this, that Zeus and Hermes came down disguised as men. And they came down to the area near, nearby Lystra called Phrygia. And, and they, they disguised themselves as mortal men, Zeus and Hermes, and they went and they knocked on doors looking for food and shelter. And 1,000 times they got turned down, doors slammed in their face. But there was one poor elderly couple by the name of Philemon and Bacchus. And this elderly poor couple, in spite of their poverty, took them in, took these two men in, and they cared for them. They gave them food. They gave them shelter. So the result was that the gods, according to the legend, blessed these two people. They turned their little humble cottage into a big, beautiful temple for Zeus. They made the husband and the wife, the priest and priest priestess of Zeus, and then eventually they transformed these two people into two intertwining trees outside the temple of Zeus. But because a thousand homes slammed the door in their face, the gods, according to the legend, wiped out these people in a great flood. The people of Lystra, right here in Acts 14, they knew that story. And looking at Paul and Barnabas, they're like, they look at this crippled man and he's walking and they're like, the gods are, Zeus is back, Hermes is back, we need to show them hospitality so we don't die in a flood. And so here comes the, the priest of Zeus and he's bringing an oxen to sacrifice as an act of worship to Paul and Barnabas. This is not going how Paul wants it to go. Everybody's getting into this emotional hysteria. By the way, be careful when crowds get into an emotional hysteria. There's a lot that can go south quick. So there's an emotional hysteria, and they're all speaking in their native dialect, which Paul and Barnabas apparently don't understand. But when finally they start catching on, and Paul's like, I think I know what's happening here. Here comes the priest of Zeus with an oxen. He's ready to kill it, Barnabas, for you and me. And so when they hear in their own language, the Greek language, what's going on, they don't want any part of it. And now we pick up our story in verse 14. Everybody look at verse 14. 
But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they did what to their garments? Tore them. And they rushed out into the crowd crying out. Here's, here's another message from Paul. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should, what's the next word, shout it out please. Turn, that's important. Turn from these vain things, what vain things? They're empty, fruitless, false religion. They're pagan gods. Turn, turn from these vain things to a living God, singular. I like that. Not polytheism, monotheism. This God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk according to their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by, note this, giving. So he's not just the living God, he's the giving God. By giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. How many of you guys are glad for rain and food and gladness of heart, right? That's all gifts from God, not Zeus, Yahweh. Verse 18, and when the, with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering to them. Now it's very interesting to me how different this message that Paul gave here in the country town of Lystra, how different it was from the message that he gave a few weeks ago in Antioch of Pisidia in the synagogue. You remember in the big city of Antioch, he stood and spoke in a synagogue to educated Jews and educated Gentile proselytes. But now he's in the country town of Lystra where it's filled with, with um, uneducated, superstitious people. And that leads us to the next point. Check this out, your next fill-in if you're taking notes. And that is that Paul adapted the message to his audience without ever compromising the message for his audience. That's important whether you're a preacher and that's, that's important um, for, for, for you um, men and women who want to share Jesus with people. You never compromise the message, but you adapt the message com concerning who you're speaking to. Now, now follow me here. In Antioch, he was speaking to educated Jews and Gentiles, but especially Jews in a synagogue. So what did he do? He talked about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave them an intense Bible study. He went to many books in the Old Testament, Paul did, as he's teaching and as he's preaching. But now he's in the open air in Lystra with a bunch of uneducated, superstitious people. So what does he do? He doesn't talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they don't know who those people are. And he certainly doesn't do an in-depth Bible study with these people. They don't have the scriptures. They have, they, have, they, have no, they have no foundation, so what does he do? He just gives them a basic message about the tr one true God and his creation. Paul calls him the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and, and the sea creatures, and he's the giving God who gives us rain for our crops and satisfies our hearts with food and with gladness. So here's, again, Paul adapted the message to his audience without compromising the message for his audience. He never, comp Paul never compromises the, the message. You say, how do you know that? Here's how I know. He talked about the one God, singular, as opposed to their many, little g, gods, plural. And he told them in no uncertain terms to turn, everybody say the word turn. Turn from these vain things, these empty things. By the way, there's a lesson in that. You cannot call yourself a true Christian as long as you continue to believe in other false religions that they're authentic. You cannot be a syncretist. You cannot say all roads lead to heaven, but I believe in Jesus too. You can't. Hey, here's a word from God to you today if you're a syncretist, if you think all roads lead to heaven. Here's the word, turn. Turn away from that nonsense, all roads do not lead to heaven, 
all roads lead to hell. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus. And if you say, I don't like that, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, here's what you need to know. No other religious leader died on a cross for our sins. He's the only way. It's not an act of contention, it's an act of love. God became a man and bled on a cross for our sins. And we have the audacity to say all roads lead to heaven? No, that dishonors the Son of God. We cannot dishonor the Son of God. We believe in him, we have faith in him, and we accept his substitutionary death on our behalf so that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. And so he told them, turn from these vain things. He didn't compromise. And I know if he had more time, he would talk about Jesus, but he's just trying to stop them from sacrificing an animal to him. Stop it. I'm just a guy. Now again, I'm, I'm staying here for a little while. Stay with me here. Paul adapted the message to his audience without compromising the message for his audience. Okay, so we have three weekend gatherings every, every, every week here at Calvary. Saturday night at 6 and as 11 o'clock still grows, I keep saying, hey, you'd love Saturday night. You should check it out sometime. And then Sunday morning at 9, Sunday morning at 11. It's always the three, mes always the three, three same messages. doesn't change. But here's, here's what you need to know. I know that I'm speaking to educated people. You guys are all educated. The kids are being educated, and they're learning about Jesus on their level. By the way, we should adapt the message to fit them so they're not bored to death here. It's fine, I mean, I know I'm boring to little kids, I get it. I'm not talking to little kids, I'm speaking to educated adults, okay? And so I know I'm speaking to educated adults and I know that most of you guys have given your life to Jesus. So as a pastor, you gotta hear this. As a pastor, I am under a command in the scriptures. Paul, the apostle who had authority from God, told Timothy, who was a pastor 2,000 years ago. This is first Tim 2 Timothy 4. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's gonna judge the living and the dead. Now, does that sound serious to you? Really serious. I charge you, young pastor, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Here it is, verse two. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, Paul says, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So Paul says there's a time coming in the future, it's happening right now, where people don't wanna hear preaching of the word anymore, they just wanna hear you know, little messages about how great they are, how the world revolves around them, and they could be a superstar. And that is what I cannot ever do. And I know people don't always like it. They come, to, they visit Calvary, it's like, man, he just goes verse by verse. Yeah, I'm not really into that. And they leave, and guess what? That's okay. You know why it's okay? Because I fear God's displeasure more than that guy's displeasure who walks out. That's why. So I just have to keep doing this. But listen, when I'm on in, the, in the third world country doing hut evangelism, I don't go up to the hut, knock on the door, a little old lady opens the door, and through an interpreter say, hi, I'm Pastor Mike from America, could I talk to you? And yeah, come on in, and I, do you have a Bible? No, well here's a Bible. And now, now I want you, through the interpreter, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter seven, and we're gonna talk about the priestly order of Melchizedek, okay, you ready? You ready to do this? No. When I'm in a third world country doing HUD evangelism, I just teach a basic message about the one true God. He's the giving God, he's the living God, and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to, to, to save us. Right? And so, so we were in Haiti. We were doing HUD evangelism. We were out in the middle of nowhere. We were like way up by the, the, the border of the Dominican Republic. We're out in the hills, and we're, we're, we took us forever in the cars to get there. We all get out, and then we're splitting up into two or three teams, and we're walking up into the hills, and every 50 yards or so, there's a hut. And the hut is probably, you know, maybe as big as this square right here, and there's a dirt 
if you want to call it front yard. And um, it's, you know, this one particular hut that we went to was filled with voodoo symbolism. And so we went there, we're very nice. It's me, Pastor Eve's, uh, Pastor Eve's prophet, who is the head of GVCM, Global Vision Citadel Ministries, whom we love and, and support as a church. He was there with a Canadian pastor and some other people, and my wife and I, and Sammy, his wife. And we went and we saw the lady of the house, and we said, we're so honored to be here. Can we share with you, uh, do you have a husband? Yes, he's out in the field. So she sends her little kid out to the field to get the husband, and the little kid comes back and says, Daddy doesn't, through an interpreter, Daddy doesn't wanna come. Well, if you know Pastor Eves, you know he's not gonna take no for an answer, so he goes out by himself and gets this guy and brings him back. The guy's a voodoo priest. And so I had the honor through an interpreter to share a basic message about the one true God and how he so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again the third day. And now we don't have to work it, we just receive him and he'll save us by his grace. And so I share this simple message and at the end we asked, would you like to receive Jesus? And he said, no. And we're like, okay, you know, right? Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase, okay? But hey, we shared. Can we pray for you? He said, yes. So Pastor Eves and the other pastor from Canada laid their hands on the voodoo priest's shoulders and began to pray, and he freaked out. He ran away from them. He started running around his voodoo pole or whatever that thing was in the middle. And in the meantime, Stacy and I are backing up. You know, it was like, <laughs> all right, we're gonna flee to Lystra, okay? And uh, you, you got this, Pastor Eve? All right, yeah. And so finally, when this guy settled, he was just going crazy. And when he finally settled down, he said, you can pray for me, but don't put your hands on me. And Sammy, Pastor Eve's wife, told my wife and I, Stacy and I, she said, he can't handle the fire of the Holy Spirit. You see, here's what you need to know. Just listen for a second, listen, listen. Here's what you need to know. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name in the universe, and all spiritual entities have to bow at the feet of Jesus. No one can handle Jesus. No one can handle Jesus. And so we prayed for him without putting hands on him, and we loved on him, and we left. And so I said all this to say this, that, hey, know who you're talking to. You have friends, you have neighbors and loved ones, you know where they are, you know their background, and just plant some seeds and just adapt the message, don't compromise the message, but adapt the message to where they are, and then when you come to church, know that you're going to, with God's grace um, and my best ability, get a five point, I mean, sorry, a five course meal um, in the word of God. So. Paul's like, don't do this. Don't sacrifice the oxen. We're just guys, we're just men. And here's what happened. He let the emotional air out of the balloon of the hysteria of the crowd. And they start to go home and I think they have their heads down because they're embarrassed. It's like, man, we almost sacrificed to mere mortals. <laughs> we're never gonna live this down. And I'm wondering if their humiliation turned to anger like, did you hear what that guy Paul said? He said, we need to turn from our empty religion. How dare, he insulted us. He insulted our religion. And meanwhile, listen to this, the Jews from Antioch and from Iconium who kicked Paul and Barnabas out, they hunted Paul down to the country town of Lystra. And they got there and they started to turn the crowd against the two missionaries. And that's where we pick it up now in verse 19, look at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they what? What does it say? It's like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, come on, put yourself in the sandals of Paul and there's a barrage of rocks hitting your body right now. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he's dead. And I say, how fickle is this, is this crowd? Earlier they wanna worship Paul, now they're throwing rocks at him. By the way, don't ever get involved in the hysteria of a worldly crowd, because one moment they'll love you, woo, and the next moment they wanna lynch you. It's not of the Holy Spirit at all. 
And so they're, they're throwing all these stones at him. He's gotta be doing this, right? And one of them hits his head and knocks him out. And they're like walking up to him and I'm sure he's bruised and bleeding and, and oh, he's dead. And scholars disagree whether he's dead or not. I'm not gonna debate that now. And so they take him and they drag him, trail of blood, and leave him outside the city for the wild dogs to eat. We're done with him. But you think they're done with him? You think the story's over? Look at verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, the Christians, he just led the Christ in Lystra. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. Now, I'll stop right there. We gotta just allow this to absorb into what, into our hearts what just happened here. The Christians gather around, I want you to picture this in your mind, they gather around this lifeless body of Paul that's bruised and bleeding, and they're like, is he okay? You know, keep the dogs away, get out of here, get, right, and they're probably praying over him or whatever, and all of a sudden, his eyes open, Paul's eyes open. And then this guy, bruised and bleeding, he gets up, and he wipes the dirt off of his robe, and he goes back into the town that rejected him. I mean, can anybody hear the theme of Rocky right now in the background? How many of you guys like Rocky? I know I'm dating myself. I love the Rocky movies. When I saw them, it rocked my world. I'm like, yes! You know, I just go to the gym and start training, and obviously I quit doing that, but I love the Rocky movies. And if you remember Rocky IV, right, and the Russian is pounding Rocky to the dirt, right? And yet, every time he got knocked down, Rocky got up, knock him down, he got up. And you remember what the, the Russian said? Now, I'm wondering if the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus said the same thing about Paul. The Russian looks at Rocky and he stands up and he goes, he's like a piece of iron, right? He just can't figure this guy out, right? And Rocky ends up winning the fight. And so, Paul, you knock him down, and what does he do? He never stays down, he gets up, and he keeps moving forward. Isn't that what it says in the rest of verse 20? It says that the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. You remember on the map how far Derby is? One commentator said it's a 60 mile hike on dirt roads. How? He was just stoned and left for dead. How does this guy the next morning, bandaged, bleeding and bruised, get up and take a 60 mile hike over the mountains. How does he do that? And yet that's Paul. He just keeps moving forward. And so now it says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel in that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, aren't you glad Paul got up and didn't stay on the ground? They returned to what, to where? The same town that just stoned him. Again, I can hear it. Dun, 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 dun. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium, where he got kicked out, and to Antioch, where he got kicked out. Okay, so why? Why is he retracing his steps to these cities? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough to win people to Christ. We gotta disciple them. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying, I can see Paul, you know, is probably speaking out of one side of his mouth because his face got bashed in with a rock. Saying, through many tribulations, everybody say tribulations. tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, and I know this because he wrote Romans, salvations by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's all, it's a gift of God, it's by grace. But, but once you accepted the free gift of salvation, you've accepted Christ through many tribulations before you get there. And so verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's been said the true measure of a person's character is what does it take to stop them? Please hear this. The measure, the true measure of a person's character is what does it take to stop that person? No one could stop Paul. Look at what he said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, Paul would say, you knock me down, okay, I'll, I'll go down, but I'm gonna get up. You knock me down again, okay, I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna keep moving forward. I love the Cowboys in the 90s. Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin. Emmett Smith is regarded by many as the greatest running back in NFL history. And the reason why is because he ran for the most yards. Emmett Smith ran for 18,355 yards in his career. That's 10 and a half miles. His average yards per carry was 4.2. And so I want you to imagine if you ran 10 and a half miles, but every 12 feet, someone kept knocking you down, knocking you down, knocking you down. But you know what Emmett did? Next play, he got up and kept moving forward. Kept moving forward. And so what Emmett Smith did on the football field is what you and I need to do in life. Here's your next point. If you're taking notes, when we get knocked down, we must get back up and keep moving forward. I know I'm speaking to somebody here this afternoon because life has beat you to your knees. And situations and circumstances have got you down and got you disappointed. This message is for you, this point is for you. Is the Christian life easy, yes or no, you tell me. Through many tribulations. This is the word of God, not the guy on TV. Through many tribulations, end of verse 22, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ, expect to get hit. And expect to get hit hard. And expect to go down. The question is not whether you're gonna get hit. You're gonna get hit. The question is not whether you're gonna go down. You and I, we're going down. The big question is, are we gonna get up? Or are we gonna lay there like some coward and play the blame game? It's his fault, it's her fault, it's because this happened. That's why I'm just laying here in the corner. No, we don't do that, losers do that. We're not losers, we're victorious in Christ Jesus. So we get up and we follow the Lord. The question is, are you gonna get up? Are you gonna take responsibility for your life? Are you gonna be an adult? And say, yeah, that person wronged me. Yeah, that really bad thing happened. Yeah, there's sickness in my body. Yeah, whatever, okay, I know that. But here's the thing, Jesus Christ bled on a cross and died for my sins and rose again. And so his love is inside of me and that love motivates me to get up and keep following him no matter what. I just keep following Christ. But here's the problem. Some of you have given in to nominal Christianity, casual Christianity. You come to church twice a month and you pat yourself on your back and you think, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian in name only. You need to start following Jesus Christ, not just reading it, but heeding it. You need to give your all to Christ. Because all of us have a date with death. All of us are gonna take our last breath, I'm telling you, and you're gonna see Jesus eyeball to eyeball. And if you've accepted him as your savior, the question is not heaven or hell. That's already been paid for on the cross. The question at the judgment seat of Christ is did you serve me with all your heart? And if we did not serve him with all our hearts, our works will be wood, hay, stubble, and they'll burn up, and there'll be tears in heaven. There's tears in heaven? Yes, there's tears in heaven, all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. But at the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be put through the fire. And if you don't today stop being a nominal Christian, if you don't today stop being a casual Christian, if you don't today get up and wipe the dirt off your robe and march back into life serving Christ with all that you got, your works are gonna burn at the judgment seat of Christ. Serve him with all you got, all you got. I'm not gonna take time to read it because I'm so out of time, but 2 Corinthians, write this down. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. Paul's like, I got whipped, beat, shipwrecked, stoned. Christians today are like, 
he hurt my feelings. I'm not coming back to church. <laughs> what? We really need to get over ourselves. We really not need to stop thinking we're the center and everything revolves around us. We gotta get off of our prideful, arrogant, whatever, and just fall down at the feet of Jesus. And so how in the world does Paul get beat and shipwrecked and stoned? Here it is, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how. And so don't quit. Don't quit on your faith. Keep Jesus number one in every area of your life. Don't quit on your family. Stay committed to your spouse and pour into your kids while they're in your house. They're not there for long. That relationship with your kids needs to be above every other relationship other than your spouse. Guys, turn the TV off and go roll around with your kids on the carpet. They need you. Don't quit your faith, don't quit your family, don't quit your calling. Don't let anybody stick a finger in your face saying you can't do it. No, say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so be who God made you to be and do what he made you to do. And don't quit on your church. Whether it's this one or another good church, the church is the bride of Christ. It's a treasure. So don't just attend church. Man, connect and grow and invest in a local church. This one or another good one, I don't, whatever God leads you to do, but just invest in that local church. It's his bride. And so this is what God's calling us to do. And here's your last verses and we're done. And so verse 24, they passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, he's retracing his steps, they went down to Italia, that's a port city, and they got on a boat. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, back home, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And now, Paul, it's time to take a break. And they remained no little time with the disciples. One last look at the map. They retrace their steps. They strengthen the souls of the disciples. They go down to Perga and then to Italia, up there right, right above Lycia. They get on a boat and they head back home. I, I just wonder as they're, they're on the ship and they're looking back at Asia Minor, it's all mountains. I wonder if Paul said to Barnabas, hey Barnabas, a year ago when we started this thing, they didn't even know the name of Jesus. And now there's so many followers of Jesus up there in those mountains. Let's go brag on the Lord at our home church. And they did that in Antioch. <laughs>